Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon from Lead Pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. the tryptophan out of your system. I don't want to be blaming it on the turkey now. No, I'd rather you blame it on the turkey than my message. So, okay, no snoozing today. Hey, if you have your Bibles, you may want to open them to Matthew 1. We're going to get there. It may take us a moment. I want to remind you a couple of things. One is I want to remind you about um, 
a, a great event that we get to do annually. We've done it for, I don't know, I don't know whether this is the fourth year, fifth year, whatever, running. But God opened an incredible door to our church to be in a partnership with Oak Brook Elementary School, and God has blessed that immensely. And one of the blessings that has come out of that relationship is an event called Love Gave. And so annually, usually around the first weekend of December, our, our church, in partnership with the teachers and faculty and staff at Oak Brook Elementary School, um, we do this collection uh, and, uh, of gently used items. So I would invite you. Uh, as you're thinking about, okay, we're going up, we're going to get our Christmas decorations done and all that kind of stuff. There's th that stuff that you have that you're not using. And, oh, by the way, if you have a storage unit, you know, America has the most storage units in the world. If you have that storage place where your stuff, you know, lives on, has its own address, you may want to walk through your stuff to see if it's stuff that would be better served by giving it away to somebody else. And you can take those, those things, those gently used items, bring them to uh, Oberk Elementary School Friday afternoon, and uh, there'll be people there to receive it, so it will be given away on the next day. Now, for some people, that will be Christmas. That will be Christmas. And you can be a part of blessing that way. You could also be on the team Saturday that actually helps with the distribution. And there are lots of ways to serve. If you will go to our website, you can find the Love Gave slider on our main screen. You could go to Realm, and there'll be information there about Love Gave uh, and how to register, sign up to be a part of it. But friends, it's a great blessing, a great event, an opportunity where we get to, to love on uh, the, our community, our area of accountability that God has given us. And it's a great opportunity to build relationships. It's also a great opportunity to speak the good news of Jesus. You can do that there. Uh, I know because I get to. And so I would encourage you to do that. Um, also, uh, just other things, I want to just celebrate what Dave said uh, about our giving through our global missions offering, Lottie Moon, um, and just reemphasize every penny of that goes onto the field and our missionaries use it in the projects that they're working on. So I want to encourage you to participate joyfully and, and generously and sacrificially in, in giving this year. Now, back in the spring, I think it was around March of last year, I read an article um, in the New York Times about waiting. And the reason it caught my attention is because uh, I'm not good at that. Uh, I, it's something I've had to learn to press into, this, this waiting thing. And the, the article actually referenced an earlier article that they had written that I found more interesting. And in that article, they did an interview with a researcher named Dr. Richard Larson. He was an MIT researcher. And the, the second article that they referenced was actually about a problem that the airport in Houston had. They were getting continual com customer complaints about something going on, and it was the long waits at the baggage carousel. Anybody ever had to wait a long time to get their luggage at ba baggage? I mean, it, 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 I think everybody has experienced that at one time or another. But they were just constantly getting customer complaints about it. Finally, the officials there decided they had to do something about this issue, and so they, they hired a few more baggage handlers which solved the problem a little bit, didn't, didn't fix it completely. They continued to get complaints about it, so they figured we may have to do something drastic. And so here's kind of what the, the, they did. They, they discovered that nobody ever complained about the one-minute walk from the arrival gate to the baggage claim area. Nobody ever complained about that, that, that walk. And here's the idea they came up with. They moved 
the arrival gate farther away from baggage claim so that it would take you longer to get from you know the gate to baggage claim they just moved it farther away and here's what they discovered complaints stopped people didn't complain about the walk you know some people might start thinking they complain they didn't complain about the walk they actually what they started doing was thanking the airport for having decreased the amount of time they had on weight on their back they, they were finding that they would get off the plane and in the length of time it took them to walk that walk from the arrival gate that their bags were there waiting on them if you can believe that and, and they discovered something what you do while you're waiting makes all the difference in the world what you do while you're waiting can make all the difference in the world. Now, that MIT researcher that was being interviewed, what, what he said was, this outcome can be predicted. And it's interesting to me, they, they titled him um, the, the world's leading expert on waiting. And I'm thinking, that sounds like a self-proclaimed title to me. You know, I, I think, you know, there's some days that I've had to wait so long that I feel like, that's me. I could be that guy. You know, some of you probably say, I wait all the time. Um, but the, he, he, he said, it's, it's predictable. It's just predictable. And what, what they, they saw is that this, that in-between time, because it had purpose, people were okay with it. They, it. It had a purpose. They had to get from point A to point B. It was part of th their journey. So people didn't complain. It served a purpose. Friends, one of the things that we do as Christ followers is we're waiting. And the question is, how are you doing in your waiting? How, how are you doing in your waiting? And that really is so much of what Advent is about. It, it's about training us, showing us how to live in this in-between time, in between the birth of our Lord Jesus and the return of our Lord Jesus. See, one of, one of the big questions in life is, what are you doing? What are you doing in this in-between time? Now, for some people, it feels like all we're ever doing is just, just waiting. We're just kind of standing at the baggage carousel of life, you know, waiting for it to just drop in place for us. And sometimes our prayer life describes that. You know, it's kind of like all we send to God are customer complaint cards. Lord, how much longer? When are you coming back? You know, we're just, it, it's, it's always like that. And if you're not doing that, maybe at least what you're doing is kind of complaining, God, when are you going to at least make things right for me? When are you going to heal me or, or this person that I love? God, when are you going to overcome this addiction that I've been battling with for years I continue to struggle with? When are you going to put my marriage back together God God when are you when, when are you going to find me that job when are you going to rescue me from the financial difficulties that I'm under Lord when are you when is the, you know my, my abuser going to finally be brought to justice and we have all these questions you know for God because to us it seems like he's taking too long and we're having to wait we're just in this constant season of waiting Christ follower and, and Christian author, Lewis Smead, has something to say about this. And if you've never read much of his writings, I would encourage you to. He's a great writer. But he, he writes this about waiting. He says, waiting is part of life. Waiting is our destiny as creatures who cannot by themselves bring about what they hope for. 
We wait, he says, in darkness for a flame we cannot light. We wait in fear for a happy ending we cannot write. We wait for a not yet that feels like not ever. He goes on to say waiting is the hardest work of hope. Some of you understand that that feeling of like you've been waiting for not yet and it's starting to feel like what you're hearing is not ever. And that... That's frustrating. So what do we do in that in-between? Advent, the celebration, helps us with that journey. Now, some of you may have grown up with Advent as part of your, your discipling journey. Many, many of us did not grow up th- that way. And Advent is kind of on the calendar, simply starts the, the, the four Sundays away from Christmas Eve, basically. And so that's when it starts. And so today is the beginning day uh, of Advent. It, it, it concludes on Christmas Eve. Some people concluded on Christmas Day. But there's these, these four weeks that lead us up to the celebration of Christmas. And we're going to take time again this year to kind of walk through that and think about how do we live in between. In between that, that first coming that we want to celebrate passionately and joyfully, but also how do we use this time to prepare ourselves for the return of Jesus? Now, the word Advent just simply means coming or, or arrival. And we're not, you know, the first of the Lord's servants to have to wait um, on, on the Lord. In fact, New Testament believers aren't the only ones who ever had to wait. The Old Testament saints waited. They waited for the coming of the promised Messiah. And in the, at the end of the Old Testament, those who live from uh, the book of Malachi, the prophecy of Malachi, to the birth of Christ, there was about 400 years in there. And it was a season of great darkness. Listen how the book of Malachi, the last prophetic word of God, ends in chapter 4. Uh, Malachi chapter 4, verse 5 says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the, of the Lord comes. That's the great day of the coming Messiah, they would say. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Now, interestingly, this, this prophetic word from Malachi about Elijah, Elijah had lived and died 400 years before Malachi. So he had come and gone. So what was it talking about? It was actually talking about, we know today, it was one like Elijah. It was the promised uh, coming of that forerunner to Jesus' coming. It was Jesus' own cousin, John the Baptist. We know that's who it was. But we need to understand the people receiving that message entered this great season of darkness. They were living in a great darkness. They were waiting in darkness. The prophet Isaiah told us about that season in Isaiah chapter 9. It says, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of what? Deep darkness. A light will shine. So this season, just before the birth of Christ, this season of waiting, there was a deep, deep darkness. Now, Advent is this journey between Christmas and the return of Christ. And sometimes... Sometimes it feels like a great darkness. And we want to look back and we want to celebrate the goodness of Christ's coming, the the, the light of the world. But in that day, many had begun to lose hope. They had begun to lose hope that, that the Messiah would ever come or that God would ever speak to them again. And so when we look at this season of Advent, we need to understand it started... 
in darkness. It started in, in deep darkness. And then there was this celebration of Christ's coming. And we want to step into that. All of us do. We, we, we want to embrace that. We want, we want this Christmas to be incredible. And that's part of Advent. But one of the best ways to make that, that journey towards celebrating Christ's first coming joy-filled is if we will also look to the promised second coming. And we will do that uh, with anticipation and, and, and with great hope. And so this is going to come up on the screen, but this is kind of what Advent is to me. Advent is simply a discipling rhythm of both celebration, the birth of Christ, his first coming, and anticipation of Jesus' return. That's, that's really what the heart of, of Advent is about, and taking advantage of Advent to learn how to live in this in-between time. I've heard it said, and this is going to come up on the screen too, Advent is for those who are living in the land of already, but not yet. Currently living in the land of already, something's already here, but it's not fully known yet. If if you're not sure what what that means, let me give you kind of a, 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 maybe a visual experience that you're familiar with. If you currently have or have ever had little people living in your house at Christmas, Their anticipation is a lot like how we should live during this season of Advent, that we would have these anticipating hearts. You know, a young child demonstrates the spirit of Advent. And the way that they do this, you've seen them. You know, when you put the tree up and their eyes get bright. But man, when presents get under that tree and... They find their name on that present. And every time they walk into that room, they just stare at that thing. Like somehow their eyes are going to magically just bore a hole through that paper and that cardboard to reveal what's there. And they just want to, to just jump in and open it because it's, it's right there. I mean, it's under the tree. It's already been bought with a price. It's got their name on it. And they say, can I open it? And what do parents say? Not yet. Not, 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 not yet. But it's, it's already there. It's right there. Not yet. Not yet. And if, if they're little enough, I mean, if they're really little, you know this about, about real little ones. They think, you know, once the tree goes up and the presents are under the tree, they think every day between that moment and Christmas is Christmas. What do they ask? When, is it Christmas yet? Is it, what do you have to say? Not yet. Friends, that spirit of anticipation is the kind of spirit the Lord longs that we will have for his return. That, that we would just live that way. That we would, we, we would know that he is coming So that every day looks a little bit like Christmas, even though we're not experiencing the fullness of it yet. See, that's that's the the, the history that we're living in, the season. That's the part of his story that we are living in as Christ's followers, where God has given us the gift of his son, Jesus. He's already given us the gift. But as of this moment, it's not fully realized. We haven't fully experienced all of the reality of that in all of its fullness, but it's coming. 
And the Bible speaks of creation's anticipation of this. Uh, in Romans chapter 8, verse 19, it's not in your notes. You can write it down if you want to. Romans 8, 19, it says that all of creation waits in eager anticipation. Are, are you waiting in eager anticipation for that day? The day of, of Christ's return? It's, it's not fully realized yet. It's already, we've already got the gift, but... We don't have the full experience. And so what do we do as we're waiting with this anticipation? What do we do in that in-between time? Well, we need to equip ourselves. We need to just prepare ourselves for living in this land of kind of the in-between. And that's why God gave us this. He gave us his word so that we would use it to equip ourselves for living in-between. In-between his first coming and his return. And so I want us to, to look in just a moment in Matthew chapter 1. We're going to look at, at verses 18 and following at the story of, uh, of Joseph. So often I, I, I watch and listen as, you know, we think about Mary and, and all that she went through. And she did go through a, a great deal about how overwhelming it must have been for Mary. But this morning I want us to think just a little bit about the life of Joseph, kind of his situation because Joseph experienced a great, intense season of waiting. He had to wait um, it just in an incredible way. It was a season of waiting for God's plan to unfold. He's waiting to see how God is going to bring things together in what for Joseph felt like the world falling apart. Things, see, Joseph had mapped out his life. He had imagined a certain kind of future. He, he kind of knew how things would unfold. And, and now he's suddenly in this season of waiting to see how is God going to work it out now that everything has fallen apart. Look, look with me at Matthew chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 18. It says, Now the birth of Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed, we're going to come back to that, betrothed to Joseph before they came together, that means before their marriage was consummated, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, it's interesting to note that at this point he was, still, he was being called her husband, and her husband Joseph being a just man, some translations say righteous man, I, I like that, that translation better actually, and unwilling to put her to shame, he resolved to divorce her quietly. Now what the scripture says here is that they were betrothed, they were pledged, they were promised to one another for Mary to be married to Joseph. And this is really different from the way we understand kind of modern engagements. Mary and Joseph had been committed to one another for some significant length of time. We, the scripture doesn't tell us how long. Most likely it was arranged by their parents. But that word betrothal means it was a legally binding contract. Again, different from our engagements today because it would literally require a legal divorce to break it. Before they had their marriage ceremony, before they, they had consummated their marriage, it would require a legal act of divorce. And that's why the scripture in its reading actually calls Joseph a husband here because he had already entered into this official binding contract. The scripture tells us they didn't consummate their marriage really until after the birth of Christ. So this couldn't just be like a breakup. It had to be a, a legal divorce. 
And so Mary and Joseph, they were pledged, they were promised to, to, to one another. And then suddenly for Joseph, all of his hopes and dreams crash. They, they, they crash when he learns of Mary's condition, that she was pregnant, he's not the daddy. And this just overwhelms him. Now remember, the Bible said that he was, uh, ESV said a just man, NASB uh, uses the, the term righteous man. And that phrase, righteous man, was, it wasn't just like you know, us saying, well, he's a good guy. You know, he's just a good guy. That old Joseph, he's just a great guy. That's not what it was saying. It was, this was kind of like the declaration of a title. It was a technical term that described somebody who had publicly committed themselves to pursue, passionately pursue the law, all of the law. And so what that means is Joseph did things like he honored the Sabbath to keep it holy. Joseph would not have eaten um, foods that were described in his faith as, as unclean. Joseph would have attended all of the annual seven major Jewish festivals. He would have been a full-blown participant in all of them. He was careful to follow every aspect of his faith. He was a just man. He was a righteous man. That's what, that's what that title references. But now his reputation was being torn apart. He had worked his whole life to establish this, but it's just, it's coming apart. And Joseph, in this moment, he is not believing Mary's story about how this pregnancy occurred. He's not buying it. And he knows nobody else is buying it either. It just, it's so, so out there. And so, Joseph began thinking about his options. He had some options in this circumstance that could be exercised. In that day, the very best that could be hoped for for Mary from this point forward is that she would just, be, she would just live in shame and disgrace all the days of her life. The worst that could happen is she could have been executed. And Joseph wants no part of any of that. He doesn't want her exposed to humiliation or public disgrace or anything like that. But he decides he needs to divorce her but do it quietly. We're told that. Then look at verse 20. And it says this. But as he considered these things. Now just stop there for a minute. That word considered means it was like a wrestling man. It was, it was emotional thinking. It was over a period of time. It wasn't like, now let me think about, oh, let's go do this. It wasn't that. Uh, there's actually some connotation in the word that's used and translated as considered here that it was angry, that that he had to wrestle through some, some anger. Verse 20 says, But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." Now, I don't know about how you imagine this whole thing plays out. I think there's some things that go unsaid, but Joseph thought. And if I were Joseph, I could see Joseph thinking, okay, now you tell me this? You knew this a week ago. If you'd have, known, if you'd have just told me this a week ago, that whole considering stuff... It would have been a snap. I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have wrestled through this. I wouldn't have had to go through the pain of all that. Why didn't you do this earlier? Yeah, I mean, doesn't it seem to you like it would have been a big help if the angel just showed up a week earlier? You know, canceled his vacation and come earlier. I, I, I don't know. I think Joseph thinks it would have been nice. But see, Joseph somehow heard the news. 
about Mary. And in this season of desperation, he finally decides, this is what I'm going to do. And then when he, the moment he decides, it seems like, the angel says, oh, yeah, I forget. Any of y'all ever watch Columbo? You know, Columbo would always come back and he'd have a new, it's kind of like that, that angel was like Columbo, you know. Oh, yeah, something I forgot to ask. Something I forgot to tell you. Oh, by the way, Mary's telling the truth. It's been great to know that earlier. He had already, you know, he had these plans laid out. Then he finds out about his pregnancy, so he, he wrestles through changing his plans. And then as soon as he changes his plans, he changes his plans again because of this, this message. The Bible says he had it in his mind. He had worked it out. He had done the pros and cons list. He has worked it out. And the angel says, nope, we're not doing it that way. New plan. Look, look at verse 20, 21. It says, she will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Go on to verse 22. It says, all this took place. All of this happened. It all happened this way for a reason. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And then it concludes in verse 24, when Joseph woke up from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took Mary into his home as his wife, not consummating the marriage until after the birth of Jesus, but took Mary into his home. Now, I don't know whether there was a ceremony, but I, I know this, if there had been, none of his friends would have shown up because they knew the story. More than likely, his family wouldn't have shown up because they were probably shunning him by this time. Joseph, that boy that grew up faithful, that devout kid, his reputation would never be the same again. And we know that because of some encounters that Jesus had later. Jesus was most often referred to as whose son in public? Not Joseph's, but Mary's. That kind of subtle nuance was held out only for those who were born under certain conditions of ill repute, as they would say. And that's how Jesus was known. So that's how Joseph was known. His reputation was gone. And he lived that way. You know, he, he lived that way. He never, he didn't, didn't hear, is that Joseph's son? It was, is, is this Mary's son? And it was, a, it was a slam. That's what it was. And I can just imagine, as I think you could, how much stress Joseph must have been under that first Christmas, that, that, first, that first, very first Christmas. Now, we, we don't know a lot about Joseph, but we do know this. He was a carpenter. And I don't know if it was, you know, his dad was a carpenter, so he became a carpenter. I don't know what it was, but he was a carpenter. And I think that gives us some insight into some possibilities about Joseph. I think it meant he probably liked details. He probably liked precision. He probably liked things like blueprints and, 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 and plans. And I think he probably was one of those guys that when he started a project, he liked to have all his materials on the job. And he knew how each thing was going to fit together to accomplish the mission to, to build this work. I think that was Joseph, and it, it was probably even connected somehow to his own personality. 
But suddenly, he's been pushed into this position where he has a lot of things going on and he does not know. He has no idea how those things are going to fit together. And he's having to wait on God to unfold his plan, for God to show him this new plan. And so, you know, what the angel says to Joseph is something that I think can be helpful for us to hear so that we can know how to live well in the waiting, how to live in this in-between. Here's something that's going to come up on the screen that I, I, I believe that we need to learn to do. If we're going to learn to thrive in the land of, and I've heard it said this way, the already but not yet, we've got to learn how to live a certain way until Christ returns. We, we've, got to, we've got to know how to live life in this in-between time. If we're going to thrive in, in this waiting, and, and the story of Joseph gives us some insight and some ways to do that through the instructions that he was given. The first thing that Joseph was told that I think we can learn about how to live well in the in-between time is this. Until he returns, until Jesus returns, we need not live in fear. We need not be afraid. We don't have to live constantly overwhelmed by fear. Afraid of what people would think. We don't have to do that. See, Joseph could have. My guess, he faced those fears. He, he, he had to deal with the, the concern of what are people going to think about Jesus? What names is he going to be called? What, what's it going to be like for him? What's it going to be like for Mary from this point forward? Is she going to be an outcast and just kind of cast aside? And oh my gosh, I'm, I'm a poor carpenter. And I'm now responsible for providing for the Son of God. Now, I don't know how that would stress you out, but man, you start adding those things up, it would send me kind of over the top. And then, a short time after the birth, the king issues a decree that I want every firstborn son killed. And so now Joseph has to become a refugee in order to protect Jesus, the long-awaited Messiah. And so these pressures, these responsibilities, these challenges were just building up. One of the things that I did a little reading, didn't do a lot, but I did a little reading about on uh, my sabbatical this past summer was um, about the impact of stress on the human life, on, on the human body. And I came across this stress scale that was developed by two doctors, Dr. Thomas Holmes and Dr. Richard, I think it's pronounced Ra. But Dr. Holmes and, and Rod, they developed this scale that's known by, by their names. And what they did was they basically looked at stress in human life and they gave it a point value. Some of you may have gone through a testing like this where you, you've been, you know, maybe in counseling or something and, and somebody used this. And, and they assign you what's called an LCU. An LCU is a life change unit. And so it, it has to do with changes that are taking place in your life, often very suddenly. And they, they said, those doctors did, that if you ever got to the place in your life where all of the stressors, those LCUs, added up to about 300, that's when they begin to see people have breakdowns. Or that's where they, they, they saw people who this stress began giving them a significant um, health event in, in, in people's lives when they hit that, that 300 point. And so here's some, here's some of the kind of point values that they have given to stressors in human life. For instance, marital separation is given 65 points. 
Adding a new family member, 39 points. A significant change in a financial situation, 38 points. I don't want to see anybody elbow their spouse on this one, but difficult in-laws, 29 points. Pregnancy, 40 points. Traveling over the holidays, 12 points. So you add all those up and you kind of discern and discover kind of what your stress scale is right now, your stress level is. Well, when somebody calculated Joseph's stressors, he was somewhere between 400 and 450. He was way, way, way off the charts. And all of these stressors can lead to overwhelming anxiety, just overwhelming stress to what what could be considered almost toxic stress, if you would. Now, most of us know this, that one of the things that happens during the season between Thanksgiving and and Christmas, this season that really Advent exists in, is because of expectations, sometimes self-imposed, sometimes imposed by other people, that season doesn't always seem, you know, all is calm, all is bright. Sometimes this season can be packed with chaos. It can just, it, it can add stress and maybe... Maybe you're starting to feel a little bit like Joseph did, and things are out of your control. Quite frankly, I think if you live in the United States of America over the past 19 months, we've all felt that. We have felt these stressors that have been kind of overwhelming us. Now, if you're, if you're a personality like Joseph who likes you know, blueprints and plans and, and, and things to fit together, this could be really, really overwhelming to you. You may be desperately searching for that always calm, always bright moment, but all you've got is this heightened sense of vulnerability, this heightened sense of anxiety. And when that collides with maybe a diminished sense of power, sense of doing, being able to do something, fear and anxiety get born in a place like that. That's where we start to experience anxiety. And, and that was true for Joseph. That was the life he was living in his waiting That was the experience that he would have been having. He didn't know what to do. He didn't know where to turn. But he heard the voice of God through this angel say, don't give in to fears. Yes, we're going to live in this in-between time, but don't don't give in to fear. And there's a tendency, a great tendency in the in-between to give in to fear. When you just feel like you're just standing there at the carousel waiting for something to drop, for your, for your bag to land, for something to happen, and it's taking longer than it should. And what we need to hear God say to us in that moment is don't give yourself over to fear. We need to hear Matthew 1.20 spoken over us. We need to hear the voice of God like he sent that angel in Matthew 1.20. says, Joseph, do not be afraid. Do not give in to the fear. God is unfolding his plan. It's not looking like your plan. It's not going to look like your plan. God is saying, I know what you don't know. God is saying, I see what you don't see. Don't give in to fear. The second thing that the angel says to Joseph that I think we need to apply in our in-between. I, I think this season of Advent could help us do this. And it's this. Until he returns, we should plan to change our plans. We should plan to change our plans. See, that's basically what the angel came and said to Joseph. You, you, you just need to 
you know, I know the bottom's falling out. I, I, you know, your plan's not going to work. You need to plan to change your plan. In verse 20, that's what the angel said. Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. What had Joseph already decided to do? Divorce her. He was going to do it quietly, but he was, going to, he was going to divorce her. And now the angel is saying, change your plan again. Take her home to be with you. He, he'd already considered this. He'd already thought about, oh, I could do that. But he had already said, you know, he did the pros, com, com, I'm not going to do that. Here's what I'm going to do. He'd come through this overwhelming struggle. He had decided. And then God comes and says, hold on. We're going to do something totally different. And God asks Joseph to change his plans yet again. Friends, I believe one of the greatest ways that we can prepare our hearts to celebrate Christmas well this year and at the same time simultaneously grow in our anticipation, our eager, joyful anticipation of, of the, re, the return of Christ is by asking a simple question to God. God, what do I currently have planned that you want to change? God, what is it that I currently have planned? What, these next four weeks, leading up to, to the celebration of birth, what would you have me do differently than I have currently planned? And we all have plans, whether we've written them down, or, or, but we have these expectations of how things are going to unfold. We have traditions. And maybe what we need to do if we want to experience Advent differently, if we, want to, if we want to grow in our eager anticipation of the return of our Lord, if we want to celebrate Christmas differently, maybe what we've got to do is go to God to say, God, what do you want me to change? God, what do you want me to sacrifice? God, how do you want me to step out of my comfort zone? God, I've got plans to do something with my money. What do you want me to do differently with it than I've currently got planned? God, how do you want me to change that? Now, friends, here's the truth about Joseph. It was difficult. It was difficult to have to swap his plans for God's plans. It will always be difficult. There will always involve sacrifice to swap your plan for God's plan. But remember, when Joseph did that, he got one of the best seats at the house to be a part of preparing the way for the one who would save God's people from their sins, would save Joseph from his own sins. And that, that leads us to the third thing that I see out of Joseph's life that will help us live well in this in-between time, and, and it's this. Until he returns, we can put all our hope in Jesus. Until he returns, we can put all our, we, we can trust that Jesus is going to accomplish everything that he promised he would. You remember verse 21 says, you shall call his name Jesus. He was telling Joseph this. You shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. And Joseph knew that that meant Jesus would save him from his sins. The angel is telling Joseph, Joseph, it's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth your sacrifice. It's, it's going to be worth it. You're not going to regret putting your hope, all your hope in Jesus. And I believe with my whole heart that when I get to heaven and I finally get to meet jo this Joseph, when I get to meet him and I ask him, was it worth it? He's going to say every bit of it. Every single sacrifice. Everything I gave up 
to have one of the best seats in the house, to see my earthly son become my savior. He's gonna say it was worth every bit of it. So don't think Joseph regretted it for a moment. Now, remember this about Joseph. Joseph had been that man who had sought righteousness. He knew the Old Testament. He pursued it passionately. And one of the things that the Old Testament had taught Joseph was that his righteousness, though he pursued it passionately, that his righteousness in the sight of God was like filthy rags. That's what the Old Testament taught about our own personal righteousness. Joseph would have known that. So Joseph would have known he needed a savior. He knew he needed a, a savior. Jo Joseph knew that his own righteousness would not save him. He knew that the sacrifices of, of, of lambs would not save him. That was just pointing to something better, the coming of Messiah, the coming of the savior. And he had devoted his life to this moment. And he embraced it fully, letting his plans change and finally putting his whole hope in Jesus. See, Joseph believed words that hadn't been written yet. In the New Testament, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19, the Bible tells us what God was doing in Jesus. And Joseph just knew it. It says this, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Joseph knew that that was what Jesus was doing for him. And so he put his whole hope in Jesus. He, he sacrificed everything. for Je He changed all of his plans for Jesus because, not because, you know, he, he was just this obedient automaton, but because he had put his whole hope in Jesus. Friends, that's what Advent is about. That's what this spiritual journey of Advent is about. And so here's what I want to do. I want to light this morning the candle of hope. And I pray that every week that you come, as we think about the new theme that we're going to in, speak into and think about and pray through and walk through in the coming week, that this one, this, this week of hope will spur your heart to be more hopeful of the return of Christ. Because it's all about that hope. Where are you placing it? Last thing that I learned from Joseph that instructs us how to live while we wait. And, and one of the things you're going to need to know, it, this, this one's going to show up in every point along the Christmas narratives. All of the, the, the stories within the context of the gospel's explanation of Christmas, the narratives of Christmas, you're going to see this showing up in, in all of them. And it's this, until he returns, we must obey his clearly revealed word. Joseph did. The Bible tells us in Matthew 1.24, when Joseph woke up from his sleep, from this dream, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. Friends, when you go through these gospel narratives in preparation for Christmas as you walk through Advent, one of the things that you're going to see is all of those who were walking with the Lord were willing to do the word of the Lord. They were willing to obey. You see that in Mary's life, even when she didn't understand. You see it in the lives of the shepherds out in the fields. You see it in the lives of these wise men who traveled such a great distance. When the word of God came to them, they obeyed it. Again, not because it, they were legalistic, but because their hope 
was tied to this Savior. Their hope was in the work, this, this revealed word of God for them. They obeyed it because of it. Now, we could spend a lot of time camped out here today, but I'm out of time. And so I want to close with this thought. We're going we're to unpack that more each week um, as we move forward through this season of Advent. We're going to talk about it. But I want to close with this thought this morning. One of the greatest things that I, I've been praying, and I'm hopeful that Advent will be for you this year during this season of waiting is that you and I will all be more excited, we'll be more eager, we'll be more, more filled with joy over the reality that God is still unfolding his plan. We can't see it yet. We don't know what it looks like around the corner, but we can trust that God is unfolding his plan. We read this, we read this earlier, this, this narrative about Joseph. Uh, verse 22 said this, all this took place to do what? To fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophets. God had promised that long ago, that behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. Friends, God is with us. While we're living in this time of waiting, God is with us. While we're in this in-between, God is with us. And he will not disappoint us. So as we prepare to celebrate Christmas, as we take this Advent journey, we want to prepare our hearts. We want to prepare our hearts to celebrate Jesus' birth. But we also want to prepare our hearts to more eagerly and joyfully anticipate his return. And here's why. Because when he comes back, it's not going to be like the first time he came. It's going to be completely different. Friends, the first time that Jesus came, he came in complete weakness. When he comes back, he's going to come back in overwhelming strength. When he came the first time, he came as a servant slave. When he comes back, he's coming back as a sovereign ruler. When Jesus came the first time, he came as a little baby, vulnerable in a manger. When he comes back, he's coming back as the mightiest king of kings. When Jesus came the first time, he came to die. When he comes back, guess what's going to happen? Dead people get up. When he came the first time, he came as a lamb. When he comes back... No lamb chops, man. It's lion time. He's coming back roaring. He may have come on a silent night the first time he came. But when he comes back, the Bible says he's coming to the sounds of trumpets. The first time he came, the world barely noticed. But when he comes back, the Bible tells us that every knee will bow and to the glory of God every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord are you putting your hope there or is it somewhere else let's pray Jesus we we come in this moment we come again just confessing that there are days that in this life 
we battle fear. In this life, we have plans that we just do not want to change. We come confessing in this life that sometimes we place our hope in our abilities or in other people besides you. We just confess that. We confess that we don't always obey your word when you reveal it to us, but we come this day in this moment recommitting ourselves to that recommitting ourselves to this journey through Advent this year that we want to live fearlessly in the face of all kinds of dangers in the face of suffering we want to willingly we want to live planning to change our plans when you call us to We want to live in such a way that all of our hope, all of our hope, all of our hope is in you. And so if you're here today and you have never put all of your hope, if you've never trusted in Christ, you can do that today. You can just tell him, you can just pray, Lord Jesus, today I'm no longer going to choose to trust my way and my plans and my purposes, but I'm choosing to trust you. Because I want to live well in this land of in-between. I believe that you were the Son of God, that you came at Christmas to die for my sin. I trust you now. I'm putting my hope in you. And I am already beginning to look forward to your return. When I can be with you and have eternal life in you forever. You can pray that prayer right where you're at. But most of us, what we need to do is pray a prayer of rededication. We need to confess and agree with, with the Lord Jesus where we have failed to give him our plans, where we have not put our hope in him but trusted in ourselves. We just need to give that all back. And we just need to come to this moment again in preparation to celebrate his birthright.